You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. We are thrilled today as we wrap up this series called Pass the Blessing to have some very special friends who have been a partner of ours serving Christ with the support of Riverside Community Church, formerly Penn Hills Assembly of God. That's how long they've been partners with us in South Africa. And I want to introduce them to you. It is Greg and Emily Johns. Dr. Greg Johns is the area director for the South Africa region, which is South Africa, Lesotho, and Swaziland. And uh, in this responsibility, he formerly served as the president of South Africa Theological Seminary. Now he oversees and serves on the board of directors there and oversees all the missions activity of the Assemblies of God in those countries and developing young missionaries and helping to uh, develop the projects that are there and support all that they are doing there. Enjoys working with these national leaders to help build healthy relationships and support the work of God there in South Africa. Dr. Emily Johns uh, is, uh, serves as the leader of CRY Africa Continental Task Force. She networks with a great group of missionaries and national leaders in HIV and AIDS ministry practitioners across, she's a practitioners across Africa, and uh, she facilitates, let me read this, I'll get it better if I just read it. She facilitates specialized training education, compassion outreach, evangelism, and home-based end-of-life care. And Cry Africa believes that the local church in every village, town, and city is the key to turning the tide of this modern-day plague in each community, one person at a time. And her expertise and special area uh, is on HIV and AIDS education for students in the African Bible schools and focusing on Africans to reach those that are touched and affected by HIV and AIDS in their own culture. Would you please give, we've been supporting these two since, well, for 22 years. Isn't that amazing? And uh, they, they, uh, we, we've known them for, well, for longer than that. I think Chad was uh, seven, I think, when we started supporting them is the word that I heard this morning. Would you please give a nice welcome, Riverside welcome, to Greg and Emily Johns. Greg came, which was back before the Stone Age began. Um, <laughs> I didn't get to come with him, so this is my first meeting, and it's, it's, I'm thrilled to be here with you. Just quickly, I want to share with you what I do uh, in Africa. On the continent of Africa, we lose 4,000 people a day to basically a 100% preventable disease. In the country where I live, we, we lose 1,000 people a day just in South Africa. Um, and 1,500 new ones become infected in that same day. Some days I feel like I'm spitting in the ocean just trying to take care of the needs. But you know God is good and we are making headway and the local church is making a difference. And that's what Cry Africa is there for. We are just helping with education, compassion ministries and evangelism in this. And it's really making a difference. I wish I had time to tell you the stories, but if you want to read one of the stories of someone who has been impacted, pick up the card at the door or the exit when you leave. Thank you. I have one. Thank you. Well, there's a tradition where we live and work in South Africa that before I can begin to speak to you this morning, 
I have to greet you in the name of Jesus, and if you want to be African, whether you're here at Riverside or over at the mills this morning, you need to respond in a very enthusiastic hallelujah, amen, because Africa is participatory. So I greet you all in the name of Jesus. Awesome. That's wonderful. Well, it's good to see that you're, you're willing to be African this morning because that will come into play later when I teach you a Zulu phrase before the message is over. There's an African saying that says, if you want to travel fast, travel alone. And if you want to travel far, travel together. And we have been traveling with Riverside for 22 years since the very beginning of our uh, calling into missions and going to South Africa, we want to say thank you for traveling with us. We have been your representatives in South Africa, Swaziland, Lesotho, Emily, and many other parts of the continent as she travels in her ministry. But we have traveled far, not just literally, geographically from one country to another, but we have progressed in our ministry and our influence with church leaders all over the southern tier of Africa. So it's great to be with you. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be finishing off the series about passing on the blessing by talking about how do we pass on the blessing of compassion? How do we pass from one generation to the next, from one person to the next, the blessing of compassion, and to do that, we're going to look at a very familiar passage uh, from Luke chapter 10, the ministry of Jesus. And in this occasion, Jesus is teaching. He's approached by an expert in the law, someone that wants to trick him. And this man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question I want you to remember. That's, that's the question we're answering because compassion is related to eternal life. And so Jesus responds with a question back to him. Well, how do you read the law? The expert replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus thought that was a great answer. So he says, that's the right answer. Do this and you will live. Remember the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But the expert in the law wanted to justify himself in the eyes of Jesus and everyone else. And so he presses on and says, well, who is my neighbor? If you're anything like me, uh, I struggle with why he skipped over the first commandment and went to the second commandment. Because I'm still struggling with the first one. How is it that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind? I sometimes feel like I'm still so selfish even though I'm a missionary. Because I live so much of my life tending to my own needs, my own desires, my own wants. You know, being a missionary is like living here in many ways. You get up, you have breakfast, you do your work, you take care of the things necessary for life, and then in what's left over, you tend to give to other people. 
But this man said, who is my neighbor? Here's the problem, is that my relationship with God, my love for God is invisible to you, as is your love for God invisible to me. If I say I love God with all my heart, you have to take my word for it. Jesus said, when you pray to your Father in heaven, go into your closet, shut the door, and there pray to your heavenly Father in secret. So we have this secret love relationship with God that is unverifiable. And where it becomes visible and verifiable is when I love my neighbor. When I love outwardly, that is when my invisible relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ becomes verifiable and measurable. And so this man wanted to know what's the minimum requirement to inherit eternal life. And in response to that question, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. I'd like to read it to you. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, And went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Would you bow your hearts with me in prayer? Father, I pray that the word of God would have preeminence among us, that the voice of the Holy Spirit would overshadow and undergird the words of your messenger, and that together we would discover how to pass the blessing of compassion, and that that really comes through experiencing in full the compassion that God has for us in our personal lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The spiritual principle that we're going to be threading through all of the comments this morning is this. Whatever you would want to do for God to show him that you love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, whatever you would do to show God your love, you have to do it for someone else in his name. What does God need from you this morning? What can you come and bring to God that will demonstrate your love? God is God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. 
the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the ancient of days, the all-sufficient one, the almighty, the king of kings and lord of lords. He was before the creation of the world. He will exist beyond the, the destruction of the earth and the heavens. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God needs nothing that you can bring him. And so if we come and in worship express our love for him in words, there's nothing left for us to give him, even in the Old Testament, folks. The, the sacrifices meant to worship him were entirely burned up. And we presented the ashes because he's not hungry. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need our money, although he requires us to give. He's not like a pagan god where they pretended that the pagan gods were hungry. So the spiritual principle that is weaving through the comments is whatever you would do for God to show him how much you love him, you must do for someone else in his name. And these two commands are linked together. Love God, love people. So in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is not answering the question, who is my neighbor? He changed it. And he's answering the question, what is a neighbor? And the expectation is that we are to be a neighbor. And by just looking at the story, a neighbor is one who sees and feels and acts with compassion. And the way that is passed on from generation to generation is our children see us responding to needs outside the confines of our nuclear families. You see, it's normal for us to have compassion on our own children. What's divine is to have compassion outside those walls of expectation. So as we look at the story the first person we're introduced to is the victim. It's important to note that the victim is a nameless, faceless man with no identity, no ethnicity, no financial standing. We don't know if he's in the 1% or the 99%. We really don't even know what that is. But the point is, he's a generic, nameless victim. And not only that, but he has been stripped of all his dignity, all his humanity. He's been stripped, beaten, robbed, left by the side of the road. He has been discarded as so much rubbish or garbage along the way. So often in life, we decide to engage or get involved based on whether we know a person or whether we can identify with a person in their need. If we drive along the highway and we see the flashing lights of the emergency vehicles, the first thing we do is we look to see, do we recognize the car? And if we don't recognize the car or anything about the accident, we still look, but we drive on by, somehow absolved of any responsibility they're going to take care of it. So in the story Jesus tells we have no reason to know whether we should care about this man in the ditch. He's just so much human waste. The second people to walk into the story are the VIPs. 
Now, we've always taken a lot of comfort from the fact that these priests, this priest and the Levite were the professional clergy of the day. It would be the pastor, the missionary, the deacon, the elder. And somehow we focused on the professional clergy, but that's not why Jesus included the priest and the Levite in the story. Remember the two commands? It would be assumed by everyone listening to Jesus on this particular day that the priest and the Levite are God lovers. They are identified as ones who love God. And so let's see how they react. These two men who say they love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, when they reach the place where the man is laying in the ditch, they distance themselves from the need and they pass by on the other side. They saw everything. Their minds took in every detail of the scene, but they chose to process it intellectually with their minds. And they began a conversation in their head, much like you and I do every night when we watch Brian Williams on the news. And we see some tragedy unfolding on the other side of the planet or the local news on the other side of town and we begin to have a sense of, oh, that's awful. And then we adjust and say, could you pass the rolls? Because those are really good. And we butter the rolls as the tragedy unfolds. And somebody somewhere goes off into eternity. Because we have these intellectual filters. Everything we see is filtered out. And there are so many needs confronting us that it's almost the only way we can survive is to protect ourselves like the priest and the Levite did who passed by on the other side. Into the story comes an unlikely hero. Jesus identifies him as a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan was a mixed-race descendant of the Assyrian people and the northern tribes of Israel when they were conquered. They intermarried with the conquering peoples, and so the Jews thought of them as half-breeds, as non-Jews, as, as people who had polluted the worship of Yahweh. They were not even second-class citizens. They were just outcasts and not to be talked to or touched or interacted with at all. But that's not why Jesus included them in the story. The Samaritan was included because everyone listening to the story would immediately see, oh, a Samaritan. He can't love God. He's a non-God lover. And so Jesus takes someone who obviously cannot know how to love God to shame those who professed to love God and walked on by. So the Samaritan has a different response. It's a visceral response. It is not of the intellect. It is of the guts, the viscera, the internal parts. It impacts this Samaritan on the inside, and his reaction was totally different. Instead of filtering out, his response was immediate. He went to the man. He closed the distance. He took a closer look. He saw the man as if it was himself or one of his own. 
and he went to him. In the few minutes that's remaining, I would like to talk to us about how can we, as those who really do love God, pass on the blessing of compassion at three different levels of involvement or engagement. The first level is immediate intervention. It's taking something that's in your gut, that you're feeling in your spirit, that no matter how you try to talk yourself out of it, the Holy Spirit and your spirit begin to interact, and you have to do something. The first thing you must do is do anything right now. Don't walk by. Don't say, I'll do it later. Don't say, I'll send someone else. We have to become first responders to spiritual needs when we are impacted in our spirit. I like to say we need to become spiritual MacGyvers. It's at this stage we ask ourselves, what is in my hand? Look at your hand. Take out your hand and and, and look at your hand. What's in your hand? This is what the Good Samaritan did. He took what he had available to him in the moment. He went to his donkey. He took out cloth that he could rip into bandages. He took out oil and wine that was provisions for his journey. And he just began to do whatever he could do. He probably wasn't the most qualified. He was the only one willing to do anything. Do something now and see what happens. And if you don't have anything in your hand, then take your hand and ask May I pray for you right now? Don't wait until a later time. Don't say, I'll pray for you later. People today are willing to be prayed for if you have that spirit. So say, may I pray for you? That will immediately connect you to this person or the need or something, and you will have done something that God can bring to your remembrance later to see if there's anything else you need to do. So the first level of involvement is do something now. Be a first responder. The second level of involvement is a short-term extension or a short-term involvement. The Samaritan, after he patched up the victim, couldn't just leave him there. I mean, he had done something. He'd done more than the other people, and now he has a decision. Well, I need to keep going. What am I going to do now? I can't just leave him here. So a short-term involvement is where your need takes second place to the need of the victim or the need of the day. It's when the need rides and you walk. The text says that the man, the Samaritan, took the man, put him on his own donkey and led him to the next village where he checked him into an inn and took care of him. At this stage, we need to ask ourselves, What's in our pocket? See, we've got to dig a little deeper. Many churches, many people go on short-term missions trips. They give up vacation. They plan their airline ticket. They save their money. They raise their money. And for those two weeks when they could be soaking in the sun somewhere, they decide that I'm going to invest my time, my finances in a need somewhere in the other side of the community, the nation, or even overseas somewhere. But it begins to change you. Because overnight, the Samaritan, as he took care and sat by the cot 
or the mat of this victim found out that he had a name, that he had a family, found out he was a businessman or a baker, found out he was going somewhere. He became personally connected. And when we engage in short-term compassion ministries or evangelism or even uh, construction, we connect with people that we would have no way of knowing otherwise. And it changes us. To engage with the need engages our hearts. The third level of of, uh, getting involved with compassion, passing on the blessing. Yes. Sorry about that. Thank you, Pastor Bill. The third level of involvement is long-term partnership. The first was immediate engagement, what's in your hand. The second was short-term extension or involvement, what's in your pocket. The third level is long-term partnership, and this is where we have to ask ourselves, what is in our heart? In the story that Jesus tells, the Samaritan goes to the innkeeper the next morning. The, The Samaritan has to continue his journey, and he says to the innkeeper, here are two silver coins. You take care of this man, and when I return, I will pay whatever excess there is. This stage is when you take responsibility for the need long term, but you delegate the task to someone else. And to do that, all of you is engaged. Your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind is engaged on something outside of your own need, your own family's needs. And as you engage with your world like this, your children and your grandchildren begin to see that life just isn't about taking care of what's in the circle, what's in your heart. I'd like you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to teach you a Zulu phrase, whether you're here at Riverside or over at the mill. Please stand with me, and we'll ask for the PowerPoint to come up. And I'm going to teach just a simple Zulu phrase with two words. I'll say it first, and then you repeat after me, okay? The first word is Noma. 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 The second word is Kanjani. 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 Pretty good so far. Let's put them together. I'll say it first, and then you repeat it. Noma Kanjani. Noma Kanjani. That's pretty good for Americans. And that's about how I learned it. But I learned this from an elder Zulu father who, who was my African mentor when I got there. He says, Greg, that's, that's okay, but you need to say it like a Zulu. So I will say it, and then you have to say it with me and like me. Okay? Noma Kanjani. And you have to get a wild look in your eye, a little bit of a wild look. I'll say it one more time. Noma Kanjani. Together. Noma Kanjani. Noma Kanjani. Noma Kanjani. Yay. 
You may be seated. This is always an interesting time because you have no idea what you were saying. The question is, what is in your heart? In Zulu, you were saying, whatever it takes. In the mind of the Zulu, this famous tribe that defeated the British and uh, united nations and tribes and formed the Zulu nation under Shaka Zulu, they were an incredible, fierce uh, warrior tribe. Of course, today they're very modernized and urbanized and whatever, but they still have this Zulu culture that whatever it takes, when we begin to engage outside of ourselves and we ask ourselves, what is in my heart? We hear the Lord say, Noma Kanjan. Remember the spiritual principle we're talking about is whatever I would do for the Lord, I have to do for someone else. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is teaching on another occasion, and he talks about the end of the age and the time of judgment, 25 verse 31, the book of Matthew. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom that was prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Let these words resonate in your spirit this morning. Verse 40. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. And if you read on in the passage, those who were on the goat side of the judgment seat and those who are entering into eternal punishment, the same criteria apply, and they will ask Jesus the same thing. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick and in prison and not take care of you? And Jesus replied, whenever you did not do it to one of the least of these you did not do it to me. 
it's a sobering thought because now we not only think when should I do something, is we should ask ourselves, when am I not willing to do it for Jesus? Because if Jesus walked in here today, we'd be all over him, would we not? Hey, Jesus, come sit by me. Hey, Jesus, can we go out to lunch afterwards? Can we hang out this afternoon? Here, can I get you a bottle of water? And Jesus would say, hey, Greg, thanks so much. I'm fine. But you see the person over there that no one's talking to? Would you go sit with them this morning? And I'll count it just as if you sat next to me. And so as we come back to our story and we approach a bleeding, bloody, ugly mess in the ditch and we don't know him and we don't know who his family is and we start having the conversation with ourselves, but something deep inside causes me to feel something that I cannot and will not talk myself out of anymore and I cross the road and you cross the road, and you begin to see what's in your hand, and you say, okay, I'm just going to get dirty. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to get down, and I'm going to engage. And you kneel down beside this person, and you clean the blood and the dirt, and you cleanse the wounds, and you wipe the crusty blood and mud out of his hair, and you finally get a chance to roll him gently over to see what his face looks like. And it doesn't matter what his face looks like on earth. In heaven, he has the face of Jesus. In heaven, she has the face of Jesus. Whatever you would do for God, to tell him, to show him that you love him, you must do it for someone else in his name. And it will be just as if you did it to him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Riverside, the mills, this is not about making us feel guilty. This is not another mission sermon to make us feel bad about we're not doing enough. Because the truth is, this is about him. This is about Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, it says, While we were still powerless, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Jesus gave his life for us. While we were his enemies, it is Jesus who is the neighbor. It is us who have already experienced the mercy and grace that make up compassion Jesus crossed the universe to come rescue your life, to put you on a track for eternal life. We come to Jesus. We accept his full compassion by grace, through faith, confessing with our mouth, believing that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And in that moment of transformation, our love for him is birthed. And to show that we are inheritors of eternal life, we pass on the blessing of compassion. God bless you. You have been listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.